Well, good morning and thank you uh, for the warm welcome. Always love coming to Myrtle Grove. This place has a special place in my heart and in my wife's heart. Um, I'm going to be preaching a message called Reaching the Next Generation from Psalm 78. Uh, I noticed that I saw somewhere that you guys posted a job description about an assistant pastor of Next Generation Ministry. Um, and I want you to know that's what caused me to pick this passage. I was like, ooh, I like it. I like the direction they're going. But I want you to know that I'm not campaigning for this job. I promise you. <laughs> I, I love, some of you are going to be like, this sounds like too much of a coincidence. Uh, I, I love my pastoral counseling ministry. And I, I can't take a full-time job even if I was asked to take one. Uh, and I just wanted to get that out of the air so you weren't, you know, <laughs> thinking I was too self-serving or anything. Um, let me read just the first eight verses. This is the second longest psalm in the book of Psalms after Psalm 119. So I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'll summarize it. But I'm going to preach on the first eight verses because of its topic. So let's give attention to the word of the Lord. My people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from of old, things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children. So the next generation would know them even the children yet to be born, and they would in turn tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. They would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to him. God is not done yet with Myrtle Grove Presbyterian Church. Do you believe that? Good. I didn't want to have to take a circle around the stage and pray for you guys to catch that vision. Some of you might struggle with that. I don't know, but uh, I'm glad to hear that response. And I'm eager to see what that response will be even after this message. God is not done with this church yet. That's the first thing I want to say. And I think what God wants to do, like he wants to do with every church, is to use this church, first of all, to glorify him but also to pass on the faith to the next generation. That they might know it and believe it. And that they would know God's ways and walk with him. The church of tomorrow, this psalm says, the church of tomorrow is shaped today when we tell God's story. I'm going to say that again because if you don't remember anything else, I want that to be the message that we take home. And not just to know, okay, this was the idea, but to, I want you to pray through what does it mean for me individually? What does it mean for my family? What does it mean for this church? If we were truly to believe and apply this statement that the church of tomorrow is being shaped today when we tell God's story. That's the way we reach the next generation. It's not with gimmicks. It's not with uh, lights and smoke machines. It's not with trying to be cool. It is what this psalmist says, tell the next generation about God. Tell them the story of his grace and his redemption. Tell 
his story of faithfulness and power tell the history and tell the future. Tell them where we've come from as a people and where we are going. And I want to break this psalm up, at least the first eight verses, and, and address a couple topics about it. The first would be, what are we to tell? What are we supposed to tell? The psalmist talks about it. Secondly, that's the first four verses. And then secondly, we'll talk about why we are to tell God's story to the next generation. That's verses five through eight. And then I want to give you a little bit of some application or some of my perspective and advice maybe about how to apply this practically in talking about how we can tell the next generation, okay? So what we're supposed to tell, why we're going to tell it, and how we might be able to do so. What we are to tell, first of all, the, the psalmist opens up and says, hey, listen, this is important. He's, he's sounding almost like a prophet, but definitely like a teacher. And this psalm isn't directed to God. It's actually directed to the people of God, about God. And he's saying, look, listen up, pay attention, turn your ear in. I'm going to tell you a parable or a story with deep meaning to it. And, and it's about God's people and his dealings with them. And I want you to retell this story. Because you see, history doesn't always make sense on its own, does it? History is just this uh, complex, large collection of events and peoples and dates and names. And we have to look back and reflect on it and connect dots and trace the story and find the meaning. And we have to do that in our faith. We have to know the story of God and we have to be able to trace back through historical events of what God has actually done. Because Christianity is not just a religion of wonderful ideas. It's not this just mystical secret knowledge. It is actually a religion of history in which God has come into the world, acted definitively and practically for our salvation. We have dates and people and events to point to on which we can build our faith. The reason I have hope and confidence that I have eternal life is because one day, on an actual day in history, an actual place in the Middle East, an actual man of flesh and blood with, with the Spirit of God in him as God hung on a cross for me and died, and then he was raised from the dead. How I feel, how I live, how I act, what other people do to me cannot undo that historical event. And it's our story. From the calling of Abraham all the way through to the resurrection of Jesus and the outpouring of the Spirit and the founding of the church and the ongoing history of the church, it is a story of what God is doing and it's not over yet. And it's not over yet here. He says, we're going to tell things we've heard and known, okay? These are personal things to us. We, we've had them told to us. There's a chain that the faith gets passed on. People told it to us. I'm here because someone shared the gospel with me and taught me about the Bible. My parents were involved in that. Pastors, Sunday school teachers were involved in that. Uh, numerous people. You're here because of that. But he says, we're going to tell things that are personally known to us and important, and, and we know them because our ancestors told us. And then he uses three uh, ways of describing the content of the message. He says, his praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, first of all, his power, and thirdly, the wonders that he has done. I love how in the Hebrew, he just says, the praises of the Lord. 
But the, the interpreters and translators rightly add in there the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord because the whole psalm goes on to describe in history things God did, deeds he accomplished. But they are praiseworthy deeds. In other words, what are we to tell the next generation? We're, we're to tell the next generation God's praises. To praise him for who he is and what he's done. I'm telling you, praise is far more attractive and convincing than criticism and complaint and worry and bemoaning the direction of the nation or our country or the world. Do, does the next generation overhear the people of God praising God because of what he's done? The praiseworthy deeds of the Lord. Whether it was calling Abraham or rescuing the people of Israel out from under the powerful hand of Pharaoh or leading them through the Red Sea or guiding them through the wilderness and providing manna and water from a rock or giving them the promised land or whether it was the prophets coming and promising the Messiah, whether it was Jesus and his miracles, his death, his resurrection, the pouring out of the Spirit, on and on and on. Whatever it is, God has been active in history and is active still and he's in control and what he's doing ought to be praised by his people. People. You're with me now. I might get to some parts that press on some sore spots, so I had to gain some goodwill with you. <laughs> then is power, right? There's power in the name of Jesus, we sing. The next generation needs to know that. Whatever you're facing, there's power in the name of Jesus to deal with it. And then the wonders he's done. All kind of synonyms, but the summary is this. We're to tell the story of what God has done. You see, the next generation, reaching them is not about telling what we have done or accomplished. It's not a come be like us. In fact, I'm going to get to it in a second, but he actually says we should tell these things to the next generation so they won't be like us. Uh-oh. Buckle up. You are going to call Stacy on Monday morning. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not here to kick over hornet's nest. Um, we tell the story of what God has done in history for our salvation. Listen, it is not the job of the church to change the next generation of people. Let me say it again. It's not our job to change the next generation. Nor is it the job of the next generation to change the church. It is our job and our calling and our duty and our privilege to tell the story of God's power, of his grace, of his praiseworthy deeds on our behalf. It's taking the Old Testament story, the New Testament story, the story of the church, the story of this church, and the story of your personal life, and telling it. Tell it. We're to tell the next generation of people in the church, we have a we have a calling and responsibility to train up the people that grow up in the church, but we also are called to reach people outside the church in the next generation. This makes me think of Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost when after Peter preached a story of the historical dealings of God and how in Jesus he had overcome his enemies and accomplished our salvation. All the people say, what should we do then? And he says, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus. Your sins will be forgiven. You'll receive the Holy Spirit. And then he says, this promise is for you and for your children. So you, your children in the church, to all who are far off whom God will call to himself. And with many other words, he warned them and pleaded 
with them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. That's what we are supposed to tell. Why we are to tell it. That's really the thrust of this psalm. Because God has commanded us to, first of all, that's a theme throughout all the Old Testament. He even says about Abraham, he says, I should let Abraham in on what I'm about to do in Genesis 18. And he, because he says, hey, I've chosen him and I've called him so that he can teach his children so that they can uh, live the ways of the Lord. And in Deuteronomy 6, it says, teach all of these things, all the promises of God's covenant, his activity in saving and making his people, the requirements of what we ought to be for him in that relationship. Tell these things, teach them to your children, talk about them throughout all of your day, make it a natural part of life a God-filled life in which whether you're lying down or rising up or coming or going, that you're talking about the Lord and his ways and his promises. And then in Ephesians 6, it's, it's brought back into, into the New Testament, the same duty of, uh, to fathers especially is an interesting thing. Uh, it says, fathers, don't exasperate your kids. Don't provoke them to anger, but raise them in the, the instruction and the learning of the Lord, the instruction and the ways of the Lord. Colossians says, fear and admonition of the Lord, same thing. That's good enough, right? Because God's asked us to, you know? Why do we do it? Trust God's plan, trust that if we will speak up and tell that God will work powerfully. But secondly, he says, so that they will know them. Obvious, right? Can't know them if they're not told to you. Um, you know, this passage convicted and challenged me. I have five kids, you guys heard earlier, and everyone, you know, laughed. Things are busy at our house. Not as busy as they were when everybody was really little, uh, but things were busy, and I remember what that was like, and, and as I was reading this passage, I thought, have I done this? I mean, my, my kids were even pastor's kids, and they've heard me teach the Bible week in, week out, and then I thought, you know, I don't know if I've actually sat down with each of them and told them my personal story in a very personal way of how I came to believe and why I believe and what God has done in my life, you know? And, and it convicted me to maybe do that with my kids. Um, pray for me, give me, the, give me the courage, you know, do they wanna hear that, do they wanna listen, how will they respond? It's stepping out in faith a little bit to do it. I have told them things, okay? I'm not like a, you know, a failure of a father uh, completely. I have failed in many ways, just like the people in this psalm. But then he uses three ways to say what the results will be if the next generation knows them. This is the objective. This is what we're really after. And he says they will put their trust in God. I'm going to come back to that. So they would not forget his deeds so that they would keep his commandments. And I want you to think of it as like a hamburger, okay? So... The bun here is they're going to put their trust in God and they're going to keep his commandments, faith and obedience, right? And in the middle is the meat of they won't forget God's deeds. It's the importance of a living memory being passed down of what God has done and never letting it get out of our minds or hearts. And the key to faith and obedience in our life, faith and faithfulness, is that middle meat of making sure we remember and don't forget what God has done and who he is. It's the first time you probably ever heard a hamburger used to describe covenant theology, right? 
This word trust, when I was translating the passage, that they put their trust in God, it, was, it made me stop on a dime because it was weird when I looked it up in the dictionary. The word, it says, it can mean either confidence or foolishness. I thought, well, that's like, that's very two different, two very different meanings, right? So which is it? It always depends on context, right? Well, I think both of them kind of fit, right? <laughs> Folks, your confidence, your trust, your faith in God and Christ and the Spirit and the gospel and God's kingdom is going to appear foolish. Paul even said that, right? The gospel's foolishness to many people. Also, putting our trust in something besides God is foolish. And what we want to help the next generation with is to say, put that confidence and trust where it really belongs, even though it might seem foolish, but it won't seem so foolish when you hear the story I have to tell you. If you really get to know the God of history and of the Bible. He also says that we should uh, tell the next generation so that they will tell their children to pass it on, right? But I love the Hebrew is even more descriptive. It says, so they'll stand up and tell. And that's what we often need to do, not be caught sitting down, but to stand up and to speak and to say it. It's so easy to just cruise through life and never really stop and remember that we need to tell this story. And then fourthly, part of the reason we're supposed to tell them is so they won't be like their ancestors. <laughs> and I'll come back to that in a minute when we talk about how we should tell it. But he's basically saying in all of this, the psalm retraces the history from Exodus up to the time of David. And the main theme of the story is this. The people of God blew it over and over and over. They either failed or they sinned and rebelled. But God did not give up on them. God redeemed them. God provided. God protected them. God persisted with them. And as one commentator even said, this is a story of God's stubborn compassion. I am thankful that we serve a God who is stubbornly compassionate and gracious and faithful. You can't shake him. He's not quitting. He's going to keep coming. He's going to stay with you. I will be with you always, even into, to the very end of the age, Jesus said. The heart or the message of this psalm, if you turn to verse 32 down through 39 is this. And in the midst of all the details, I hope you'll read it today. In spite of all this, they, the Israelites, they kept on sinning. In spite of his wonders, they did not believe. So he ended their day, uh, days in futility and their years in terror. Whenever God slew them, they would seek him. They eagerly turned to him again. They remembered that God was their rock, that God most high was their redeemer. But then they would flatter him with their mouths, lying to him with their tongues. Their hearts were not loyal to him. They were not faithful to his covenant. But then listen to this, yet he was merciful. He forgave their iniquities. He did not destroy them. Time after time he restrained his anger and he did not stir up his full wrath. He remembered that they were but flesh, a passing breeze that does not return. The story of God is one of salvation, redemption, and also of grace and faithfulness. One commentator said this psalm recognizes the crucial connection between the past, the present, and the future generation. Only because it listens to previous generations does the present generation know who it is and how to live in light of the reality 
of its God. On the power of memory, uh, an Old Testament scholar named Bruce Walkey has said, identity, knowing who we are, which is essential to really strong faith and a life of faithfulness. He says, identity is shaped in the middle of memory and destiny. You have to have a backstory. You have to have memory of where you came from to know who you are. And you have to have a sense of where you're going, that there's a storyline or arc to this thing. And what the gospel and what the word of God gives us is that memory and that backstory and that destiny. And it helps us in the present to remember who we are. Let me close by talking about how we need to tell it. I want to just list all, there's seven things here. I'll spend 20 or 30 minutes on each and we'll be home by dinner, okay? <laughs> all right, you haven't fallen asleep. I usually throw that in there just to see if they're still with me. Um, these are, honestly, uh, I've prayed through them and I felt like these are things the Lord wanted me to share, but I am saying, kind of like Paul in 1 Corinthians, like these are my, this is my things I see that I, are my opinions, so open to being challenged here. Uh, but I know with confidence from this as the word of God that there is the importance of being faithful ourselves to the Lord. Your most compelling testimony will be your own life of devotion and faithfulness to God. That you really believe it. Not that you've uh, been perfect or good or righteous, but that, that in your heart you really trust Jesus, know him, and that that's the most important thing in your life. People can smell it on you when it's not genuine. The importance of testimony, right? We need to preach, we need to teach, but there's nothing like when somebody says, let me tell you what God's done in my life. Let me tell you how God's story has become my story and how it can, be, can become your story. Here's how God's power worked in my life. Here's how God's faithfulness has worked in me. And then thirdly, there's the importance of humility. Don't be like your ancestors. It, the psalmist is admitting, wow, I mean, our history is not really one of our faithfulness and getting it all right. And we have to be humble and acknowledge that. And that's very compelling and convincing, especially this day and age. But what we can say is that I might have let Jesus down, but he has never let me down. I might have failed, but God has not. I might have sinned, but God is compassionate and gracious. I might have wandered, but God always seeks me and brings me back, et cetera, et cetera, on and on. It's a humble story of just, God is good. God is gracious. I wish you knew him. You need him. If we don't see our shortcomings, folks, the world will. We may not see our shortcomings, but the world will. Notice that most of the tough things Jesus had to say were to the people in the church, so to speak, to Pharisees. The prophets that brought most of these judgments and prophecies of doom, some were for the nations, some were actually to the people of God to say, hey, let's get our house in order first before we start trying to get everybody else right. Then there's the importance of listening. It may sound odd in a message about the importance of speaking up, sharing, telling, preaching, teaching, that I would mention the importance of the role of listening in this. But you will gain a hearing if you listen to other people. You won't know how to tell the story in a way that 
that lands powerfully unless you know the people you're talking to. It is amazing. I've learned in counseling the things people will let me say to them when I have listened to them genuinely and intently and with empathy for 45 minutes. Because they know I've heard them out. They feel heard and they know that I know where they're coming from. I don't always do this well. I'm just saying when it happens. Here's what I know about young people. There are many great traits to this generation. I'm not gonna go into those. There are, there are many great traits, folks. Somebody give me an amen. Okay, they're so good, because sometimes this is what they hear. This next generation is messing everything up. Man, they got problems. They're lazy and entitled and et cetera, et cetera. That's what they hear from the upper generation. That doesn't draw people to Jesus. <laughs> what they want to do is like, I just feel disappointment and judgment and criticism. I think I'll just go over here to these other communities that will take me in and convince me that I am like them. The way the early church took over the Roman Empire was preaching the gospel, but it was by being a community that like a blob that would kind of go and touch people and, and bring them into the community and kind of absorb them until they believed the memory and the destiny and the story and the beliefs of the Christian community because someone would actually welcome them in. The young people of today are depressed. They have no hope. Some of them, not all of them. Okay, not all of them are depressed. As a culture, though, there's depression. There's a lack of meaning and hope. They're, they are afraid and anxious. These are the two biggest problems among people that are 18 to 25. They are lonely. It's ironic, isn't it, that the social media generation is lonely and isolated. And they have a lack of identity. Now think about what we've been talking about. The story we have to tell has something to help all of that. If you're anxious about the future, if you're fearful, we've got hope, we've got a destiny that, that God has promised and that he's working out. If you're depressed, we have something that can give you hope and joy and confidence. If you're lonely, you can be brought into a community and to know God and to know others and to have a place where you feel like you belong. And then there's the importance, as I've mentioned, of community and relationship. Folks, the world is going to let these people down. The world is going to eventually let the next generation down. And we need to be there ready to help them find hope and meaning and salvation in the Lord. Let me say also the importance of keeping a kingdom focus. And... Uh, the elders can come drag me off stage now if I get out of step here. But folks, be careful with politics. And let me ask you what it is we are trying to pass on. What is it God has commanded us to tell? Is it a certain way of life, the American way of life? Is it a certain political stance? And listen, I love America. You're like, oh my gosh, who is this communist, you know, from... Uh, listen, I still tear up every time I hear America the beautiful, and I'm proud to be an American. I love the Constitution. I'm, I'm kind of, if you want to know, I'll go and tell you I'm on the conservative end of things. But listen, nations come and nations go. The kingdom of God is the only thing that God has said. I'm going to build it, and the gates of hell will not stand against it. And... And I'll tell you also what I hear coming from the church, not all of the church, but much of the church in the last two years, because man, it's been crazy, hasn't it? 
man, what a two or three years. The world is crazy. There's a, I mean, what do you expect? It's, it's the world. Um, but I hear too much, I think, from the church. Apathy, a sense of resignation and being defeated. Anger, because we have, don't always get our way. Underneath anger half the time is fear, by the way. And finally, I hear too much fear. What are we afraid of, people? If we really think about it, what are we afraid of at the core? Do we think God can be taken off his throne? If he says it, is he not gonna perform it? Is Jesus not gonna build his church? Is not, like Martin Luther said in his hymn, A Mighty Fortress, aren't the, isn't the spirit and the gifts ours? Don't we have a kingdom that can't be shaken, Hebrew says. And it's going to come, folks. I hope it comes in a country that is free and built on the principles of our Constitution <laughs> and economic prosperity and security and national freedoms, personal liberties. But I tell you what, you can count on the kingdom of God coming. And we need to make sure that what we are passing on is not our customs or our traditions, but the word of God and the kingdom of God. Wow, you guys received that much better than I thought you would. This is, this is great. And then I need to, I know I'm probably running a little long, but I want to talk to the older saints. The older saints among us, okay? Whatever you consider older, you can self-select into this, okay? I'm not going to define it. Um, I'm 45 now, and I, you know, the, what older means has changed for me. Um, I used to think 45 was old. Psalm 71, hear this, older people. Since my youth, God, you have taught me, and to this day I declare your marvelous deeds. Even when I'm old and gray, don't forsake me, God, until I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. You know, there's a reason you're here. Uh, it's not that God's busy, you know, and you've been left in the waiting room with no purpose. You're here because you have a ministry and a mission. And I'll tell you what you have if you are among the older among us, especially the retirees. You have a story to tell and you have time to tell it. And it needs to be told. In counseling, I was working with a man in his 80s recently. He was a believer, and he told his story to me and because I, I needed to understand how everything had come together. And to listen to this, this man's story, I wanted to write it down so I could turn it into a movie. I wanted to share it with other people. I mean, this, the amount of brokenness and pain and trauma he came out of, his own sins and failings, and how God redeemed him and used him in ministry. I mean, the story was just beautiful, and if, I just want him to tell it other people. So it's time for me to wrap up. This is an unfinished story, the way the psalm ends. It just goes up to David and then stops, and we're left wondering, like, what, how'd it turn out? It's the same way the gospels end. And Jesus was raised from the dead, and he told them to go tell. And then the book of Acts, like, you know, wow, all this stuff was happening, and then it ends with just, and Paul was there in Rome and continued preaching. It was like, well, it's done on purpose because we're supposed to finish the story with the leading of God's spirit and his power. Folks, the way to reach the next generation is to move forward. Myrtle Grove has a rich and wonderful history, but you can't go back. 
I remember when you couldn't get a seat in here because young families were packed in. And that was when we had the pews and like, you know, you could pack them in like sardines. Uh, you didn't have this personal space the chair allows you. Uh, but folks, we have to go forward. It's only in going forward. God leads us in zigzags, but he never leads us in U-turns. Prove me wrong. Search the Bible. He never d- does U-turns unless we are rebelling and running from him. God offers new beginnings in every generation's. God has plans to reach the next generation. He wants to reach the next generation even more than you do. I wonder if you believe that. He wants to even more than you do, and he has a plan to do it, and he's gonna do it. How would we act if we really believe that? Will we be faithful to him? Will we tell the story? Or will we hide the praises and wonders of God? Lord, we thank you for this word. We, we know it's challenging and comforting all at the same time. And Lord, we want to see the church continue. We want to see new people be reached. We want to see the next generation be reached. And we have a heart for them and know that they need you. We're so thankful for the younger people who are in churches and who believe so strongly in what you've done in their lives. But we pray that you would do even more. Draw your people to yourself and use us. Give us the wisdom and the faith to be able to tell the story. And may it do and accomplish great things under your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.